You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast. Interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Jed, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Glad to have you on the program today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Same here. I'm looking forward to talking with you about a very unique decision you made regarding your business that changed literally everything. Before we go there, I'd like you to please share a little bit about yourself and some of your backstory. Yeah, happy to. So I'm a storyteller, a filmmaker by trade. I run a business called Votary Films outside of Boston. I have a team of uh, 10 that work here, uh, 10 full-time filmmakers in our studio. And uh, we make all kinds of video content for different brands. A lot of it's documentary content, um, sometimes documentary just as a one-off or even in a series. We also do scripted commercials and different narrative work. But I started off in marketing um, when I was a young man uh, working for a manufacturer in upstate New York. Found out over about six years as a director of marketing that it that wasn't quite right for me and sort of moved over into the world of storytelling through filmmaking. Hmm. So I live, like I said, outside of Boston and I have a wife and six kids. Right on. Congratulations. Any more coming? Thank you. No more coming. We're, we're done. <laughs> that's the, sure. end, the end of that one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But they're awesome. That is wonderful. What I'm curious about Regarding your story, moving from the manufacturing world into full-time filmmaking, what was it that occurred in your heart and your mind that made you want to make that transition? So I was a, a, a movie nut from an early age. I knew I wanted to be involved in storytelling to some degree. But getting into the world of just quick responsibilities, family bills, mortgage, you ha- you know, you mm-hmm. name it. I didn't see a fast path to being able to have financial freedom with <laughs> filmmaking, independent filmmaking. There's just no fast way to do it. And I was sort of cutting my teeth in filmmaking while uh, being a marketer. So this is back in the early 2000s. And so I wanted to be a filmmaker since I was a teenager, but I just didn't see a clear and easy path. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't an all of a sudden thing. It was about six years of sort of losing my zeal, losing my passion while in marketing. I learned a lot in marketing. I helped the company grow a lot and uh, bring in record sales, learned a lot about business. And I'm so happy that I had that experience now running my business, but I'm so fortunate to have such a wonderful, loving, supporting wife who she knew that it wasn't the right thing uh, for, for me, for us. And she was 100% in when I said, hey, I want to transition. I want to actually move out of marketing and into running a production company and being a filmmaker full-time. So we started that process. At that time, my brother and I created a website called IndieFilmer.com. And there weren't a lot of vlog blog sites at, at that time, 2002, 2003. So the, the concept was kind of novel. I just said, all right, well, let's everything that we learn, we'll pour it out into this site. 
in the form of articles and, and videos and gear review and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that will be our ticket out of corporate, you know, day to day. And we'll just sell banner ad space and eventually get some revenue from this site. And I knew firsthand, I had firsthand experience that gear manufacturers, they'd let you review their gear. And the, the dirty inside secret was they'll let you keep the gear at hoping that you'll give them a good review. So <laughs> I wanted to spend all my money on gear anyway, you know, yep. trying to amass the tools that were needed for the, for the craft. And so that's exactly what we did. We started doing gear reviews and we were very honest and open. Sometimes we would send the gear back, but the stuff that we loved, um, we would give it a great review and they would let us keep the gear. We never did sell banner ad space, but we were able to get the site up to about 60,000 unique visitors per month. And that got the attention of uh, actually a a family member of mine, my brother-in-law, my older sister's husband. And he said, hey, let's partner. Let's make a feature film together. I'll fund it and you write and direct it. So I moved out to Indiana and uh, took my family, my wife and kids. And that feature film sort of became my film school. It was a deep dive, wrote it and directed it in 2006 with my younger brother, and that's when Votary Films was actually born. Mm-hmm. After the film wrapped, reality hit us pretty quickly. It's like, okay, we've spent this year making a feature film. Now the film has to get sold. And in the process of selling it, I got to get a job again. And I didn't want to get a job again. I, I just, I, I'm like, what do I do? So I just started selling the services, film production, graphic design, photos, Basically, anything that I could sell, web design, I quickly pivoted over to calling it Votary Media. Mm -hmm. And those early days, we weren't very focused on film production. We we would just take whatever we could get uh, sort of hand to mouth. And we did move from Indiana to uh, Massachusetts. And uh, the Great Recession, 2008 was sort of in full swing at that at time. Perfect time. Um, after the film. Yeah, it was a terrible time to start a business. But, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know sales. I knew marketing, but I, I didn't do one-on-one sales. I was just sort of a one-man show trying to make ends meet. And if I'm honest, Brian, that's how we were for about five years straight, just barely getting enough to get us by. And I'll tell you what really changed. I went looking for advice. I would talk to people. I tried to, to, you know, it seemed like month to month, I would get just enough and it felt like we could pay a bill, but then there just wasn't enough and the cash didn't come in. And I'm constantly saying, honey, they said that they're mailing the check and I'm I'm waiting for it and I'm doing the sales work, but then also doing the, the fulfillment work, the production work. Or making a website out of, you know, all at the, at that time out of my garage office. And it was just a nightmare for about five years straight. How exhausting to live that way. Yeah. It was, you know, at, at that point, we had been married for really 14 years. And you know, you've been married for 14 years. You feel like you've already been through thick and thin and you, you understand how to weather storms and whatnot, but we hadn't had this kind of storm. Mm. And it tested our marriage in ways that I just didn't think that I would be tested. When I say a nightmare, I'm not kidding. I remember, and I write, write about this in a recent book that I just finished writing. I remember this particular day, 
I was sitting in my garage office. I've got five boys. And at that time, and I, now I have a little girl too, but at that time it was just the five boys. And my oldest son, who was, I think, maybe 12, he said what a lot of kids say. He said, Dad, are we rich? I had always had a pat answer. Where I'd be like, of course we're rich. We're rich in love. And on top of that, if you look at the rest of the world and the way that we live here in the U.S., we are quite rich. We actually are quite wealthy compared to a lot of the way the rest of the world lives. And so I'm kind of in the middle of giving him that answer. But on this particular day, I didn't want to say that. I had no prospects. My bank account was overdrawn by about $160. I had no food in the cupboard. My wife had already been to the food pantry a few times. We had been served a notice from the electric company that our electric was going to be turned off if we didn't pay. I hadn't paid my mortgage in a whole year. I had gotten bad advice from someone. They said, hey, they're handing out these modifications to the loan. Just don't pay for a year and they'll mod, they'll mod your loan and you'll, you'll pay less. So I hadn't been paying my mortgage for a whole year. And I finally got a letter from state police saying that our house was going to go to auction Wow! if we didn't catch up. And I'm looking at my in my, my inbox, looking for any leads, any prospects. I have no checks in the mail that were going to be on their way. I just completely felt broken, like a complete and utter failure. And my son is asking me if we're rich. I said, you know, there must be a lead in here somewhere. And I start digging through my inbox and I'm just looking for any kind of prospect and trying to psych myself out and building up some some energy to to find a prospect and and call them and see what I can find. I'm having this little conversation with my son and the electricity goes out. Oh. I'm looking at my blank screen. I run to the door. I see the utility company truck driving away. I knew that there would be no turning that electric on that night. I called them, gave them a post-dated check. And they said, yeah, we'll turn you on, but it's not going to be until tomorrow or the next day or something like that. So I went inside and had to face the music. Now you have to realize at this time, we had been fighting about money every single day to the point of tears. Mm. Rightfully so. She was petrified that we wouldn't be able to feed the kids. And I didn't know what to do. I'm like thinking up to this point, I've, there's always been some way to get by. I'm not a quitter. There'd always be a prospect that came through and you just barely make things work or whatever. Yeah. But that was making things work without paying the mortgage, right? Without paying the other. It's like you feed the kids and that's it. Mm -hmm. And we had been brought to tears daily up to this point. I had to go in and face the music and you know, we didn't fight. She's not like that. She didn't say anything, but she had been pleading with me daily to, to go get a job. And every single time that I would go to look for a job or to pray about getting a job, I would feel this, no, just keep going. Just keep going. You're going to get through. You just keep going. There's no amount of explaining that that pacifies your partner, right? right? Hey, I prayed about it. And, uh, you know, God told us that we're, we're going to be fine. When you're in it and you're in the middle of that pain, I, and I'm not blaming her, I felt that pain too, but it tested us like we've never been tested. I went inside and I, I ended up having a, I, I laid in, in bed with the kids. I said, we're camping tonight, right? I pulled mattresses off the floor and 
the kids were kind of uneasy because it's like this dark house and it's six o'clock at night and yeah. whatever. So we're laying there and I, I just took the time to explain to the kids that I said, you're going to think back on this just like I am. And it's going to be a memory and it could either be a positive memory or a negative memory. And my prayer is that this is a positive memory and that, yes, the electricity is off in our house. You're going to ask, hey, are my friends going through this? Like, do other people have the electricity turned off in their house? But not everybody is taking the same risks that we're taking. Hmm. And because of that, they're not going to reap the same reward. That's how life works. You risk and you get reward. And and what does it actually hurt us over? Are we actually hurt or is it just my pride that's hurt? Right. So I'm having this whole conversation with but it was mostly just with my older two sons because they were the only ones that could kind of understand me at that time. And they drifted off to sleep. And the next day, I made a plan and went and sought counsel from a, someone who would become a very close friend, Sharbel uh, Mejum. In mm-hmm. fact, he introduced us, you and me, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a fantastic guy. And he went through a really hard time in 2008. And so I just went out to lunch with him and I said, look, at you, 2008 almost broke you. What did you do? I said, I'm, I'm ready to fold. I got to go get a job. And he said, well, Jed, if you go looking for a job, let, he said, let's think about this. If you go looking for a job, what's the fastest path to some cash flow right now? If you go looking for a job, there's going to be a time gap to where you're waiting for that first check and you're selling them on, on hiring you, even though you don't necessarily believe that's the right thing to do. He said, or you could hit the streets and double down on your sales efforts to sell your services from your company. Either way, it's selling. Mm. Either way, you have to go get in front of somebody and sell. And he's like, that. basically, that's the same thing he went through, where you double down on your sales effort. And that's what it took. To, and I said to myself, You're, he's right. I, I haven't gone door to door. I haven't just picked up my phone and dialed asking for any opportunities that someone would, you know, can I come in and show you my stuff mm-hmm. uh, or, or can you give me a referral? Who do you know that needs this? You know, if I'm on that phone all day, every day, or even out door to door, something will come from it. Something will come of it. But I was, I had been terrified. I was, all I was doing was digging through my inbox, trying to hide behind the, the safety of my computer screen. So he really pep talked me, and, and at the end of that lunch, he said, my company could use what you're offering. And he bought a month's worth of services in that moment. And that breathed so much life back into the business. That's what gave us our first sort of jump start back to escaping the clutches of death. Yeah, We weren't totally scot-free. Of course, there are deep-rooted habits that had to be broken. And we went on and, and had another year and a half, two years of struggle, but it was ne- not nearly as bad as that time. And we got back on track with our mortgage. We got we weren't fighting as much, but I still felt like there was, you know, there were still times when we, we were looking at the bank account and it was down to zero. Yeah. And we're, what do we do about this, right? That's kind of what I want to tell people is things don't just change overnight. You can get bursts that help you. The service that we talk about, the service we sell now is called story acceleration. And story acceleration doesn't happen in giant leaps. It happens in the bite-sized bits that happen daily. And I'll just, I'll just do a quick fast forward and explain that the next big breakthrough that we had was when about a year and a half after that, and I was in a moment of struggle and I just said, here I am, seven years 
into building this business. And I only had like a couple team members and it was hard to pay them. At this rate, I'm not going to reach the goals that I want to reach. And I felt a little bit like a failure again. And I just, I'm like, I'm moving so slowly. I felt that I needed divine intervention. I, I needed it to be not my efforts. And at that mm. same time, the same man, Charbel, said, you know what, Jed, what we did was we let go of ownership of the business. I said, what? let go of ownership? What are you talking about? Like, How do I let go of ownership? And he said, no, I'm, I'm talking about this business is God's business. You want his blessing. You need to be very clear that you don't want to own this. You just want to be a steward. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah, I realized that I was carrying all the weight and I was trying to muscle this business into a better place. And I was operating on my own strength. And I said, he's right. I, I called all my closest friends and family together. And this is in 2014. And we had an evening where I publicly wrote up a deed. <laughs> as hokey as it may sound, I wrote this deed out and made it out to the Lord. And I said, I don't own this business in front of everybody. I said, I don't, I want everybody to know. I, I don't look at it like my business. This is God's business. And I'm going to do my level best to be the best steward that I possibly can be. But he is, has to do the heavy lifting. Mm. He has to miraculously bring the right connections or change my habits. I'll meet him halfway. I'll do everything that I can, but I'm not going to carry the weight of this thing like folding tomorrow, the, the fear of it folding tomorrow. I'm going to do my best. This is God's business. And I dedicated it to him. And I'm going to tell you, Brian, that was the big turnaround. After that, it wasn't immediate, but it was a marked change. From that moment forward, we basically toggled between doubling our sales, doubling our growth, and somewhere between 50 and 100% growth year over year from that year forward. That's amazing. And I told the story on and on with every, every year that followed that. I would just continue to tell people that story and give him the glory because I don't want it. I don't want that glory. It's 100% God yeah. that is leading our growth. And above and beyond just the sales growth or the business growth, it's been incredible to see the type of work that he's brought to us, work that we call meaningful work, work that I can clearly see is doing good in the world. Our three core values is use creativity for good. That's number one. Be kind and courageous is number two. And three is always be improving. That's kind of who we are today. It's in our DNA. The company was basically born again in 2014. Totally sounds like it. Let me pause here and circle back on something you said, and that is you had to break some habits. What were some of the habits that you had to break? I'm sure some people listening going, what were those? Because I might have the same habits I need to deal with. Yeah, that's a great question. One of the habits that come to mind is running the financials by the seat of my pants, right? It's like you, you glance at the bank account and say, hey, do I have enough money for that? Instead of getting to be a little more fine-tuned with the details. And if, if I'm being honest, I still lean toward wanting to run the company that same way. But thankfully now I've, I have an amazing team around me that fill gaps and hold me accountable. And I, I don't want to let them down. So I continue to cross T's mm -hmm. and dot I's. But 
yeah, financial management is is a big thing. You have to know your numbers backward and forward, know them cold, understand margins. Where are you actually making profit? Margin is the lifeblood of business. With margin, you can reinvest. I dialed in on that quest to find out where our best margin was. Also, just being principle-minded, not just taking anything that comes our way. You know, in the beginning, you're just so starved for for any kind of sale that you just take anything. But then eventually you have to say, is this the right work? Does this fit our vision or is it a distraction? If the answer in your gut and if the answer in your core team of leaders is this is a distraction, then don't do it. Don't do it. Stick to the path and continue looking for the right kind of work. And for us, that's been creating partnerships with the right partners, you know, partners that believe what we believe at least on the level of helping people, you know, spiritually, they don't have to be in the same boat in terms of being, you know, Christian led companies or something like that. But if they truly want to help people help their team and bring real value to the market, then of course, that's number one. Other habits, I would say communication habits with leaders thinking win-win. It's amazing how you can just kind of go back to Covey's seven habits of highly effective people, like being proactive, thinking win-win. That has changed my life like almost nothing else has, like seeking first to understand and then be understood. Like in that order, seek first to understand someone else and then be understood. It takes humility first, you know, courage second. Those are mm. those are some pretty big areas, some some habits that needed some work, I would say. That's a pretty massive shift in really processing, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. I'll tell you how it ties in. Like when I did give the business over to the Lord and said, this is yours, there really was a piece that came over me where I was like, I'm not carrying this giant burden on my back anymore. And it really actually freed up mental space and emotion space to be in a restful, okay, now I can work on myself and just really focus in on making these better habits. I got into a completely different sort of speed mental speed where I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be chill. I'm going to take things in stride and I'm going to just continue to look at big picture. Don't get frenzied. That was key. When the frenzy tried to come upon you, what did you do? What did you say? I distinguish between the difference between running away from a problem and running toward a problem. I wouldn't run away from a problem. If there's a problem, I said to myself, Hey, there's a problem. Let's run toward it. Mm -hmm. But while running toward it, I would also say, I'm not avoiding this. I'm taking the time to actually, you know, I'll just unplug from everything, go by myself, unplug from my phone or whatever, and think about the right response to whatever the problem is. Think high level, you know, don't work on something else, work on that, that problem. That's a big thing. It's just, okay, I know that I have to deal with this right now. It's my top priority. However, I'm not going to be frenzied about it. I'm going to take my time and think about the right response to this. What's thinking win-win? What's the big picture? And, you know, as someone who would traditionally be a little bit more knee-jerk reaction, I play ping pong and I love ping pong. I'm a decent player. And my mind likes to work at that speed, like ping pong, ping pong, back forth, back Mm. forth. But where I've really seen progress in life and in business is when I I slow down and I get out of that really fast knee-jerk reaction and, and have intentional thinking time and intentional planning time. That's been that's been key. What you just stated is so critical for all of us. The, it's the antithesis of how in our flesh we want to respond 
We want to respond knee-jerk. We want to have the answer instantly. And that's just not how things work a lot of the times, is it? That's right. You would spend time really just listening and hearing the Lord's heart on it and going through your mind about different options, and you would start getting some clarity and some peace, wouldn't you? Trying to, trying to. And I don't want to sound like it wasn't a battle. Like every day is a battle, you know, every day is a battle. So I don't want the, the tone of my delivery on this, this, this storytelling to make it seem like it wasn't a battle. It's, it is a battle. Sure. There was a lot of times that I didn't do well with that. But I, I'm just saying the areas that I have seen progress was from those those changes that were made. And I'll tell you, this is part of what what I write about in the book is, you know, our character is, is forged in battle. Mm. We're meant to endure conflict. So as a storyteller, I'm endlessly fascinated with the structure of story. And over time, I have had the benefit of really studying it to a detailed level. And there is no story ever throughout history that doesn't have conflict. Conflict is the meat of the story. Someone takes action because they're going after some goal or going after some achievement. You can't take action and not experience or encounter conflict. And it's what you do with that conflict that defines your character. The character that you're playing in that story is defined by the character you have as a person, right? And that character is forged from conflict. When you're in the middle of the conflict, there's a great hack that you can do. And this is basically the thesis of, of my book is you can say, all right, I'm going to picture myself as the character in this story. I'm going to step away from this scene and look at this scene from someone else's perspective. What role am I playing in this? And, and what what do I want to have happen what needs to happen? Don't fear the fact that I'm in the conflict right then. Try to remove yourself from the emotion of that and say, if I was watching this story, what would I root for this hero to do right now? That's so good. Right? And then you muster up the courage to do that. Because when it's you, you're completely torn by the emotion that you're in. You're like, this is me. I'm feeling this pain right yeah. now. But if you can be objective, if you can step away and look at it like I'm now looking at the hero of, the, of this story and I want to root for them to do the right thing, that can be just enough of what it takes to when you come back to being you, giving you that burst of energy you need. And there's a, there's a fantastic book that illustrates this. It's Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. He talks about a moment that he had in, in Nazi Germany, death camp in Nazi Germany. He was just going through the worst experience of his life. And in the middle of it, he was tortured, not just by the experiences that he was having, but he was tortured by the fact that he couldn't get his mind off of the experiences he was having. So he intentionally just told himself to think of something else, anything else in that moment. And what came to his mind was he was picturing himself in a warm lecture hall, and there was a whole big audience in front of him. And they were all sitting in warm, soft, upholstered seats. And he was standing in front of them and he was giving them a lecture about the psychology of Nazi death camp, having gone through it himself. He suddenly saw himself not from the position that he was in, but from an objective view of science, like what he's going through in that moment was giving him an act, you know, something that he could share with the world. And he was just so determined mm -hmm. from that moment 
to be able to get to the point where he could share that with the world. It was incredibly powerful for him. And that's what I'm talking about when I say, picture yourself as the hero in your story, and it will give you what the burst of energy that you need for that moment. And then if you do that over and over, even at the micro level, like, hey, I'm feeling, I don't have energy for this day. Okay, well then picture that one more day slipping away from you. And what could you accomplish today? And how would you thank yourself tomorrow for diving into that investment that you need to? So it works on the micro level too. That so resonates with me when I was starting the business that I'm in quite a few years ago and I started to feel exhausted and unable to make another call. It was direct sales. I would ask myself, what would be the best thing you could do for your future, Brian? That's right. And that guided my choices and my effort. Exactly. It's the same thing. That's such a powerful concept. Now, as you're working today in your business, do you find yourself counseling other business people through this type of scenario? Yes and no. Let's say there's a leader who is not the leader, the CEO, but their C-level exec. If we see that they're going through a challenge, there's a lot of times we're directly interact, interacting with different leaders at different, and, and these organizations tend to be a little bit larger now. I love talking to people who are in startups. I love counseling startups, people who are just branching out and giving them a little bit of hope that, hey, it's going to get hard, but you can get through it. And hopefully your scenario is, you know, hopefully you move faster than, than I moved. And that's usually a good segue into talking about story acceleration. Had I leaned into the power of, you know, telling my story, realizing where I was at in my story and, and looking at every day like a chapter that I can make better, a more powerful chapter in, in my story, I would have accelerated. The business would have grown uh, stronger, quicker. So I talk about that wherever we can see opportunities. But the reality is like companies are just people. There are groups of people. The situations that companies are going through as a brand identity are really a reflection of the people in the company. So that's part of the reason why I wrote the book the way that I did. It reads kind of like a self-help book where you're first working on your personal story and then that will translate out to the growth. You know, that personal growth will translate out into the business growth that you so want as a business leader. And so it starts with the, the character that you're playing in your story and, and in other people's stories. We have to recognize the character that we play in, in other people's stories and be the best version of that character that we can be. So yes, we, we are able to speak to other people. We just look for opportunities where we can. Now, what's the working title for your book right now? It's called Story Acceleration, The Seven Steps to Create Momentum in life and business. I am uh, really looking forward to reading that book when it comes out. Do you have a sense of when that might be releasing? Well, it's scheduled to be in print next month. So that's as of this airing, we're, we're doing this at the end of January, 2021, and it should be on bookshelves in February. So it's a pretty tight timeline. Great. That's exciting. Well, I'd love to finish up here, Jed, by having you pray for our listeners, please. Absolutely. Happy to. Yeah, Heavenly Father, I just ask for something special and unique here. I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will touch the people that listen to this podcast, who, especially those who are struggling. And um, I just pray that you'll give them courage and energy in the areas that they need. Help them to have the discipline and focus 
to tackle the breaking down of bad habits and building up of good habits. Help them to see every day is a chapter in their story. Help them to be able to picture themselves in a story that will either be epic or not, right? We know that you don't love lukewarm. <laughs> you want us to be on fire. You, you've given us life for a reason. You've given us purpose. You brought us to this earth and into this life for a reason. So I just pray that the listeners to this podcast will feel your design and that they'll go after it with all that they have and create an epic life story, one that gives you glory and one that lets them live out their purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jed. It was a pleasure to have you on the program. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening. 